facts, candid conversations, and some levity to lighten your day. This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. A wonderful Wednesday to you. It is the 10th of January, 2024, and this is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. Program that into your phone right now, 888-914-9149. That's the listener line. You can call in right now to talk to me for free because it is sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. Lots of great stuff to talk about today. We're going to talk about how Jesus carved out time for prayer amidst a very, very busy schedule in the midst of exercising demons and healing the multitudes. We'll talk about that too. But I want to start with this because I I wanted to get to this yesterday, but we ran out of time. And this is something that my wife, Trish, wanted me to talk about Uh, before the holiday season. It would have come, come in very, very handy over the last few weeks as people have been going to parties and meeting all kinds of strangers. And uh, it's about how to engage in small talk. Because is there really such a thing as small talk? Everything is is kind of important, as we'll see. How do you make small talk? Because we do have to do this a lot. And maybe you felt very nervous about this, uh, going to Christmas parties, office parties, whatever, family members. How do you talk to people? Lots of folks out there would rather have a root canal. So how do we do this effectively? Well, I'm going to give you the top 10 tips that you need to hear for making small talk. And uh, shout out to Patrick Alog for sending me an interesting article about this. And you can also send me an article that you think I might want to talk about, Faith, Facts, and Fun. It's the name of the game here on The Kale Clark Show. You can email me. The address is kale, C-A-L-E, at relevantradio.com. Send me an article, show idea. Always good to hear from you. And so, yeah, Alog sent me this. It's from Kathy Garrard, uh, writing in Reader's Digest. And uh, she has digested for us uh, a couple of books on this topic. And uh, here are the top 10 tips for making small talk. But I, I think before we give out the top 10, it's probably a good idea to actually define terms here. What exactly is small talk after all? Well, I think we all sort of know what it is without having to actually give a, a dictionary-worthy definition. But uh, the article defines small talk as simply this, the ability to maintain a friendly and lighthearted conversation with strangers. I guess some small talk could be unfriendly. Like, get out of my face. Okay, that's that's a uh, short and sweet. Uh, but to maintain friendly and lighthearted conversation with strangers or someone you don't know very well. But it can be much more than that. And in fact, um, there's a writer named Deborah Fine, and she has written a book called The Fine Art of Small Talk. I see what you're doing there, Deborah. I see you working. Deborah Fine has written The Fine Art of Small Talk. And she says that, and I really like this phrase, actually. She says that small talk is the appetizer for a relationship. And that, that's a really good way to look at it. It's the appetizer for a relationship. You can, you can sort of look at strangers, maybe people that you don't know that well. There's, there's so many friends that you haven't actually met yet. Friends that you haven't actually had the chance to sit down and talk with. So small talk is the appetizer for a relationship. And at the relevant radio Christmas party, they were handing out all kinds of appetizers. People walking around with little shrimp rings and things like that. And kind of, would you like an appetizer? Oh, of course I would. And so there you have it. So you just try to not get it all over your white dinner shirt. But um, not saying whether that happened or not with me. But 
Deborah Fine, who wrote the book, The Fine Art of Small Talk, says that she can tell right away when she meets somebody new and, and starts engaging in small talk, whether or not there's any actual friendship connection there, whether there's any potential there. And, and maybe you're like that too. And, and by the way, you can call in if any of these tips resonate with you or you say, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, I get, or, or, you know what, I'd actually even add an 11th tip on small talk. Uh, let me hear it. 888-914-9149. So here are, without any further ado, the top 10 tips that you need to know for small talk. Number one, number one, say your name and repeat their name. Maybe we should play some Beyonce here. Say my name, say my name. Okay, so say your name. How do you do that? Well, you've all seen those Hello, My Name Is stickers that they sometimes give people at corporate events and mixers. And actually, my wife Trish, speaking of Trish, has a very funny one. It's actually it's actually a, um, a badge that, that looks like a Hello sticker, Hello, My Name Is sticker, but it's actually sewn onto one of her jackets. And it says, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. So it's very much a Princess Bride fan, obviously. So I thought I thought that was pretty funny. But it's it's a good thing that we have these name badges because very often we're prone to forget people's names. Maybe you're better at remembering faces than names. You're one of those folks, but try really hard to get that name. Because Dale Carnegie, the great Dale Carnegie, in his multi-million selling classic that he wrote in 1937 called How to Win Friends and Influence People. We, we know this. This is, this is a, a well-known uh, trope that a person's name is to that individual the sweetest and most important sound in any language. So it, it's a good thing to do to repeat somebody's name back to them. They'll love it, <laughs> apparently. And um, also give your name so you can sort of, yeah, give a nice, firm, solid handshake. You know, Hi, my name's Kale. What's yours? And uh, when the person responds, repeat their name back to them. And hopefully it'll it'll stick in in your brain somehow. Um, people use all kinds of devices to remember folks' names, um, but hey, even if you don't remember their name, at least you made a solid first impression. Okay, so that's number one. Say your name, repeat their name back to them. That that's a good one. All right, point number two: the top ten tips for making small talk, which we all have to do at various times in the office at the corner store, at mass. We meet lots of people every, every day. We try to have positive, pleasant interaction. You never know how far a friendly interaction might go. All right, number two, focus on them and not on yourself. And, and the author of this piece, Kathy Garrard, she says she has a friend who uh, used to drive for a rideshare company, whether that's Uber or Lyft. That would be a great place to hone conversational skills, that's for sure. So she did this for a while and... and um, she figured out how to read people pretty quick. And these people who are, who are now sometimes people, maybe you're the type that you don't want to talk to your driver when you're in, or if you're on an airplane, you don't want to talk to the person next to you and you're hoping that they don't talk to you. But people who, 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 who work for Uber or Lyft or, or another rideshare firm, they know how to make small talk if you need them to. So this is what she said, being a, being a rideshare driver. Best thing you can do is ask questions. That's how to get people talking. Ask them questions. And then when they actually answer the question, actually listen to them. Actually listen to them. And in conversation, and this this is true also when we're doing apologetics, when we're talking about the Catholic faith with other people. And, and very often 
we're not really listening to what they're saying. We're sort of playing mental chess in our minds. What's my next move after he, you know this person's done saying whatever? I'm not really listening to what they're saying. That, that's, a, that's a grave mistake. To, to actually listen is a, is a rare skill, really. Lots of people can talk. Not everybody knows how to listen very well. We have two ears and one mouth. I think God sort of designed things that way for a reason. So ask follow-up questions. Um, and it can be something as simple as just tell me more about that. It doesn't have to be super profound. But just keep the conversation focused on the other person. And they will feel like you, you really made an impression on them. And, and I remember I met, um, and producer Jim, you'll appreciate the story. I once met the famous Hall of Fame hockey goalie, maybe arguably the best goalie of all time, Ken Dryden from the Montreal Canadiens and Les Canadiens de Montréal, as they say in, in uh, Quebec. But a famous goalie, um, won the Stanley Cup as a rookie. I think it was in 1972, my hockey stat brain, see if it's still functioning right. Maybe Patrick Alog, you can fact check me on this one. But I think it was over Chicago as well in those in those finals. So won a bunch of cups with Montreal in the 70s, including four straight in the late 70s. And then he retired. He was just like, I'm done. But he was a super bright guy. He, w- he went to Cornell. He was in the Ivy League. He was a lawyer, went on to become a famous writer. He wrote about all kinds of different topics. He wrote a very famous book about um, the life in pro hockey called The Game. But he also wrote a bunch of, about a whole bunch of other things too. Education, became a politician, uh, but super smart, super accomplished guy. I was at this sort of sports celebrity dinner. Not, not that I was one of the sports celebrities, but he had to sort of pay to go. My dad had taken this thing. He's like, hey, do you want to go to this? I can't, I can't make it. Yeah, of course. So I brought my friend Christopher, uh, who I was going to university with. He was a huge Montreal Canadiens fan, massive Canadiens fan. So he was really excited at the chance to meet Ken Dryden at the sort of cocktail mixer, meet and greet. A little small talk here. But Ken Dryden was super impressive because he did not want to talk about himself at all. And... And probably that's because guys like him probably get super sick of talking about themselves. People asking them questions all the time. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that time you made that save off of, you know, you know Stan Makita, you know? Um, yeah, it was awesome. Um, but, you know, he, not that that's not fun for people, but, but he, 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 was, he was only interested in talking about us. And we we're just a couple of university kids. I mean, who are we? He was asking us questions. He was intently listening. What are we studying? What do we hope to do? Talk to me about your family. So he, we spent about 10 minutes with Ken Dryden, and he was, it was just incredible conversation. My, my friend Chris was just beaming after talking. Like Ken Dryden is interested in something that I'm, that I'm saying here. That was pretty cool. So focus on the other person. That's tip number two. Tip number three, top 10 tips for making small talk. Find common ground. Um, and again, the author of this piece, Kathy Gerard, she actually has a friend who was a missionary. Now, I don't know whether it was a, some sort of a Christian denomination or perhaps a Mormon missionary or something like that. But this person was a missionary and now works for, get this, the National Weather Service. Talk about the mother of all small talker conversations. Hey, hey it's pretty cold out here, isn't it? Yeah, The weather. The weather is the most basic as you can get. So was a missionary, talked to a lot of strangers, and now works for the weather service. So this person has it covered. And he says, hey, look, when you're, when you're launching into a conversation with somebody that you don't know very well, the thing you've got to do is look for common ground. Anything at all. Anything at all. They're driving a Jeep. You could say, well, my dad had a Jeep. Oh, yeah, he used to drive with the doors off. I never thought that was safe when I was a kid, uh, when he was barreling through red lights especially. Um, 
anything. Uh, they're wearing cowboy boots. Oh man, I wish I had a pair of cowboy boots. So, you know, are they made of real snakeskin? You know, you can you can get into all kinds of different things based on just things that you observe around around that person, what they're wearing. Little tips. Ask them where they're from. That's a whole conversation that you could get into maybe for hours. But it's it's a great way to learn about people. Finding common ground. People, by the way. People are very, very happy to talk about themselves. I say that all the time. If you ask them what they think, they're, they're very happy to tell you what they think. Very happy. Um, so go for it. Go for it. You're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. We're talking about the top 10 tips for small talk. And this can be big because small talk can lead to big talk later on. Friendships, real relationships, talking about real stuff down the road. So... Um, Here's tip number four. I, I love this one. This is probably my favorite one of the list. Resist the impulse to be a matchmaker. And by that, we don't mean trying to set up romantic relationships here. Uh, my friend Timory on her show, which comes on after this one, she, she'll very often have on Christina Pineda, who is a, a professional matchmaker. Um, it's it's kind of like a Fiddler on the Roof, maybe. I don't know. Maybe not quite. But uh, having said that, um, that's not the kind of matchmaking we're talking about. This is, matchmaking, when you're trying to make small talk, is a huge, huge problem. It's it's not good. You do not want to matchmake when you're having small talk. What's matchmaking and small talk? That's when every time somebody says something, you matchmake. You respond to everything somebody says with your own version of the same thing. So somebody says... Oh, I just got back from a wonderful vacation in Florence. It was amazing. I loved Italy. Oh, I was in Italy last summer, and and I went to the Sistine Chapel. And then you're off and running, and the person's like, oh, yeah, I was going to tell you, but uh, now I can't. So, and this, I think it's a very human reflex. We all have, we all know people who do this, and maybe we've done it without realizing it. We're not often very self-aware, are we? Um, it's okay because I think what's behind that is this idea that. Oh, man, this is common ground. I've got a shared experience. You went to Italy. I once went to Italy. Um, but you need to really bite your tongue. And, and this is what uh, Deborah Fine, who's the author of the Fine book on small talk, uh, she says, look, you need to bite your tongue. Share your commonalities, maybe you know, just a little bit, but let the other person talk. And, and, and this is really what's called having emotional intelligence, or EI, um, not employment insurance, but emotional intelligence. I can give you a sort of insurance in relationships to have emotional intelligence. Keep keep conversations going. So don't be a matchmaker. If somebody says they did this, don't say that you did the exact same thing three weeks ago. That's a cardinal sin. That's a cardinal sin. And, and by the way, there was an actual cardinal named Cardinal Sin, Cardinal Jaime Sin of the Philippines. That's a whole sidebar, but that's a funny story. Um, when he was uh, made a cardinal, when he was elevated to the ranks of cardinal, he said it was the first time that sin had been elevated in the church. And uh, when he when he would entertain visitors, he would say, "Welcome to the house of sin." I mean, the jokes just write themselves. He never did become pope, uh, but uh, you probably heard about cardinal sin. But it's a cardinal sin to be a matchmaker in conversation, if you know what I'm talking about. Well, I don't know. Maybe you guys have some extra tips that you want to give me on this, or is this resonating with you? Don't worry, we will talk about faith stuff later religious stuff we always do faith facts and fun i'd start with the factual and a little bit of fun too on the kale clark show we'll be right back after this break 888-914-9149 call in 
This is The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, welcome back to the program. 888 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We're talking about the top 10 tips for making small talk. And a lot of you guys are pretty excited about this. So we'll get back to the list in just a minute. And if you did miss any of the episodes so far, don't worry. Uh, we'll have you covered with the podcast, which should be up a few minutes after the show. And we'll also put a link to this article that I'm referencing in the show notes. Uh, so don't worry. We'll have all that information at your fingertips. And you can access the pod, of course, on the brand new Relevant Radio app. New version just dropped. I think you'll like it. team's been hard at work perfecting it. 888 Let's go to Tim. In Nashville, Michigan. Tim, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking my call. You got it. You got it. So, what's uh, what's your take on all this? Well, uh, I was listening to your comments that what you were calling being a matchmaker, right? Mm-hmm. And and I I find that extremely annoying when people do <laughs> that. And uh, what what I think it leads to invariably is something I found much more annoying, which is being what I call a one-upper. Yep. So I've got a better story than that. You know, uh, you know, if someone says, I just met my bishop, then they're telling you how they just met the Pope. You know, their stories are always one better than yours. And I think that that, that is a terrible way to, to carry on a conversation with people. And I think most of the time people do it innocently, and they think, as you said, they've got some common ground. You know, like, hey, mm-hmm. we both yeah. went to yeah. we we both went to Italy. I should share my experience as well. And I don't think people take it that way. So, uh, you know, people really have to understand what the last caller said. Not to get the joke, but <laughs> let people <laughs> talk. You know, let let people talk. Tell the story. Don't try and top it. Don't try to match it. You know, let let people talk. I, I you know, th- there isn't ever this shared common ground feeling people get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true, Tim. And, and uh, we were sort of talking about this uh, during the break with uh, my producer, Jim. He used to know this guy back in back in college who was a constant one-upper. And uh, if you had a story, he had a better story. If you did if you did something, he did something even greater. But I think a lot of that, we were, we were kind of talking about this, it, it's born out of a lack of self-confidence, insecurity. They're looking kind of for validation. So there's maybe a sort of a a deeper need that might be even behind them. That might even be something to pursue with that person. Um, you know, when, when this happens, um, and did you have no friends in high school? That's sort of, no, don't, don't, don't say that, but that's uncharitable, but uh, no, that, that's another, yeah, Tim, I agree with you hundred percent, Tim in Nashville, Nashville, Michigan, to be, to be quite correct about that. Uh, not the other one in Tennessee, but uh, Nashville, Michigan, I've heard that is rivaling. Talk about one upping people. Nashville, Michigan is trying to one up, the other one. Anyways, like I said, I appreciate that call, Tim. Let, let's get back now to, to the list of the top 10 things that you can do to master the art of small talk. It's Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 All right, so here's number five. Tip number five, don't offer advice if the other person doesn't ask for it. Sometimes people just want to Talk about the flowers in their garden without being told. Maybe you should have planted something else. Or, or somebody wants to talk about a problem at work. Um, 
they don't need unsolicited advice necessarily. You know, you should probably sue your boss or, you know, just, just listen and acknowledge what you're hearing. Don't try to solve people's problems unless they ask for it. Now, sometimes they will. They'll say, what do you think I should do here? What, what's your, what's your take? What's your call? Then you've got the open door. But sometimes people just want to be heard. And I know sometimes as guys, we, we fall into this problem, especially with our wives we want to solve problems, and when our wives try to tell us something, they're talking, we think, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you should do here, and you should do X. I just want you to listen to me. And speaking of marriage advice, this is probably a good segue, maybe a tortured segue, but I think it's a good one, to tell you guys some really, really good news. We have not one, but two new shows on Relevant Radio that are going to be debuting on Saturday. So what about marriage? You won't want to miss the debut of Marriage Unhindered with Doug Hinderer. And our marketing team was racking their brains for months. But what would be the best title for this? Well, I think they nailed it. Marriage Unhindered with Doug Hinderer. Now, Doug Hinderer has been on Relevant Radio many times. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist. He's got 42 years of marriage of his own under his belt. Um, Great, great guy. I've met him. I had lunch with him. And in fact... A few months ago, he gave a talk to all the employees of Relevant Radio. It was it was great stuff. I, I got I I took tons of notes, tons of notes during his talk about marriage, how to live it better, and I interviewed him actually once. So when I was guest hosting on uh, on Drew Mariani's show, he great great guy. So if you haven't had the pleasure, definitely check out Doug Hinderer, which is going to be debuting on Saturday at 11 a.m. Central. Marriage Unhindered. I was going to say, uh, yeah, yeah, Marriage Unhindered, live Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio. Plus, here's one more. An old friend is coming back, Dave Duran. That's right, the Dave Duran Show is coming back to Relevant Radio. And if you've ever heard the Dave Duran Show in the past, you know that he's laser-focused on helping people integrate their faith into their careers. So marriage, career, this is a powerful combination Uh, Dave's had decades of building and leading companies, and he's also spoken to us at Relevant Radio in recent months. Uh, Again, that was another talk I took a ton of notes on, got a lot out of that, so thanks, Dave. He's going to share very practical tips with you to increase results for you, real results in your personal life, in your work life, growing your leadership skills. There's really no downside to this. Listen to the Dave Duran Show Saturdays at 1 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio. So Marriage Unhindered at 11 the Dave Duran Show at 1. Saturdays are looking great. And um, I'm really excited about these two shows coming up. So much more information if you go to the website, uh, relevantradio.com. There's a nice article about uh, about Doug up on, on the website now as well. So check it out. Check it out on the Relevant Radio app. All right. So there's some unsolicited advice for you. Listen to those two new shows on relevant radio. All right. Number six, number six, point number six, do not monopolize the conversation. Do not monopolize the conversation. When you're trying to make small talk, this is tip number six. And this is a, this is a tough one because again, it's very hard for us sometimes to be self-aware in many areas of our lives. And I think this is one of, one of the really, really good reasons why it's good to have a spiritual director. Because we need that other set of eyes, somewhat like a doctor. People try to play Google doctor with their own maladies, and maybe I have this, maybe. Don't go down that road. You can really trouble yourself and give yourself a lot of worry and headaches for no good reason. See a real doctor. 
see a spiritual director. Um, if you don't have a spiritual director of your own, great show to listen to on Relevant Radio, The Inner Life. Spiritual directors are there for you to call in, ask questions. You can be anonymous. Uh, and that's a really, really important part of our daily lineup as well. At 11 a.m. Central, right here on Relevant Radio. Check the podcast anytime. Hosted by Patrick Conley. So don't monopolize the conversation and, and try to be more self-aware because, uh, and, and it's sort of a, a sort of a thumbnail rule for this um, by um, Deborah Fine, who wrote the book, The Fine Art of Small Talk. She said, three or four minutes is probably a good guideline. If you talk about yourself for longer than three or four minutes, you need to throw the ball back to the other person. So it's a little bit like a game of catch. Or a game of ping pong. Got to hit the conversation ball back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And that's what makes a natural conversation instead of a monologue. So if you're thinking, if you're, if you're sort of gut instinct here is that you're, maybe I'm being a little bit too long-winded here, then you probably are. So it's always better to, to leave them begging for more than saying, it's always better for people to say, so soon? Oh, they're done that story so soon? Yeah. Rather than saying, at last. <laughs> you know, you want them to say, so soon? Oh, I can't believe it's over. All right, so... Ask questions, listen to answers, keep the conversation ball moving back and forth. All right, so again, this piece was written by um, Kathy Garrard, writing in Reader's Digest. Point number seven, treat the conversation like it matters. And she has another friend named uh, Ellen, uh, who uh, is the creator of something called the Grammar Table. That's kind of interesting. It's a a pop-up grammar advice stand. And she goes to cities across the U.S. and just kind of pops up her stand. I guess it's like a lemonade stand, but you can ask her questions about grammar. You know, where do I use the Oxford comma? I don't know. So this is what she says about small talk. She probably engages in a lot of small talk during doing the grammar table. She says, quote, my view is that there's no such thing as small talk. I may be talking about very focused topics with minimal global impact from the weather to a tree to a semicolon. But the talk is never small to me, not ever, end of quote. So there's no such thing as small talk to her. It's only only sort of multiple layers of meaning in in all conversations. And, you know, things can remain at a surface level for sure, but we can also get a little bit deeper. And But you got to start somewhere. You don't usually start off, especially with somebody you don't know very well, you know, just let me back up the truck here and tell you about my deepest, darkest fears and worries. No, I mean, you're going to start on the surface level and then build trust. And she says this, another good, good tip. If somebody doesn't know what to talk about, she says, would you like me to ask you a question? And she says 90% of the time people will say, yeah, ask me a question. So there you go. Number eight, point number eight, do your homework, do your homework, do your homework. And I would say if the situation calls for it, so here's a, good, here's a good example of when this is, is important to do your homework before engaging in small talk. Before a job interview, th- this is the, the example that's given in the piece. Now, if you, if you know you're going to be going to this job interview, let's say, you know the company, you might even know the name of the actual person who's going to interview you. Look them up. Look them up. They might have a social profile. They might have a, a LinkedIn page and kind of like Facebook for business people and, and, and figure out some stuff. Oh, oh wow, you went... You went to Michigan. You know, oh, you must be really excited about the national championship. Th- that sort of thing. So um, try to try to. This is a great way to um, to build rapport with somebody. Where somebody's gone to school, where they grew up, what they're doing in their current line of work, maybe a, a project that they've completed that's uh, a, a personal interest to you. 
And so, yeah, that can be part of an icebreaker for sure. Absolutely. So do your homework and, um, yeah, go for it. Number nine. Oh, this, uh, okay. The last two are interesting. The last two are maybe the, the most interesting of all. Point number nine, steer clear of controversial topics. This is, you guys might feel differently about this. 888-914-9149. Guess what? We're going into an election year. <laughs> so there will be all kinds of, and maybe this has already happened to you, all kinds of uncomfortable conversations around the dinner table, Thanksgiving, Christmas, all the way through 2024, folks. Lots of things to talk about. And if the past few years have taught us anything, it's that people get riled up. People get really riled up when talking about politics and also religion. I don't know if you've noticed this. And so um, this article sort of takes the, takes the position of stay away from these controversial topics. Stay away. So let's say you're at a kid's birthday party, all the parents are there, or I don't know, it's, it's a gathering for your child's soccer team, you're, ta- you're talking to all the dads. Make a connection with people based on what brought people there in the first place. Maybe it's the game of soccer. Are you a Pele guy? Or, you know, who do you think is the best ever? Is it, is it perhaps messy? You know, whatever. Stay away from the controversial topics. Build on stuff you can actually agree on. I don't know, though. I, some of you guys might disagree with that because uh, the great G.K. Chesterton, convert to Catholicism, he once said the two things that we're not supposed to be talking about at parties, religion and politics, they just happen to be the two most important subjects on earth. Why? Because religion is about love of God, how to do that properly, and politics, it really, when it all boils down, it's, it's love of neighbor. It's how, how do we care for our neighbor in, in this world, promote the common good, all of that stuff. So this is what, what Jesus talked about, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. You could kind of say, you could make the argument that's about religion and politics in a certain sense. So... Maybe we should get into that. I don't know. I don't know. But um, it, it's very hard for people sometimes to disagree without being disagreeable. And uh, there, there are definitely sharp divisions, deep ditches that have been dug uh, between all kinds of different positions uh, in American society. So your mileage may vary. You may not want to do that. You may simply want to dive right in. But you you could take that approach if you want. So you could steer clear of controversial topics or not. But that's point number nine, how to engage in small talk, master the art. All right, so here's the last tip. Tip number 10, how do you end the small talk conversation? That, that's, that's an important, important piece. You've got to plan an exit strategy. Just like when you're on an airplane, here's the, note the nearest exit. And the nearest exit might be when the whole wall of the plane comes off. We've seen this happen a, a couple of days ago. So you can, just, hey, there's, you've kind of created your own exit door there. Um, you've got to have an exit strategy for these conversations, and it has to be somewhat natural. All right, so, so Deborah Fine, who wrote The Fine Art of Small Talk, she says this is what you need to do. Let, let's say you're at a mixer, you're at a, you know, I don't know, some sort of corporate event. You can say, hey, uh, great talking to you, but I, I just saw a client uh, across the room that I, I really need to talk to, so great meeting you. I'll catch you later. And so here's the thing. You actually need to do that. You actually need to go talk to that client across the room because if you make a beeline for the buffet table and start stuffing your face with dim sum or whatever, you know, then the person's going to say, hey, I just wanted to get rid of me. So do what you say you're going to do. 
make sure that you're actually going to to do what you said you're going to do, whether it's talk to someone or use the washroom or whatever the case may be. Here's some other tips for gracefully ending these these conversations. I, I wonder if any of these have ever worked for you. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. When a conversation is starting to slow down, end on a high note. She says, "If there's a natural pause, give a nice smile, tie up any loose ends. Hey, never hurts to give somebody a, a few compliments for the road. Love the tie." That doesn't hurt either. And, and Chris Chris Voss, um, who wrote um, a really interesting book on negotiation called Never Split the Difference, he, he always says the last impression is the lasting impression. Most people are focused on first impressions, but he says actually the last impression is the lasting impression. So you really want to leave somebody on a high note. So my thanks to Kathy Gerard for writing that piece. And we'll put a link to it in the show notes. You might want to check out that book by Deborah Fine. The Fine Art of Small Talk, How to Start a Conversation, Keep It Going, Build Networking Skills, and Leave a Positive Impression. What kind of impression is this uh, made on you? 888-914-9149. Let's go to Eric in St. Paul. Hi, Eric. Hi. Okay. How are you? Um, Let's make some small talk, Eric. Let's do it. Yeah, forget that. Okay. (laughs) Three three things. One is... uh, most boring people are the ones who never stop talking and shoes you bought their accomplishments. It, it tires your brain. Mm. That's okay. The other ones, photos. When they sit there and you sit and watch them <laughs> for two minutes trying to find photos about either a vacation or their kids, and then that goes endlessly. Yeah, those yeah. are the two things I feel you, you gotta. Um, That's a good point. Stay away from. And the last one is like on a phone call. You said end the conversation. Well, yeah. The way you end that is whatever the heck they were talking about, you got. You say, you know, I really got to go. But before I go, what would you say about you give them one more thing to talk about? So then, you, you know, that's yeah. lifting them up. You, you bring a question up about what they were saying, but you already made the point was you got to go quickly. That's yeah, it. yeah. The one more thing. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like Steve Jobs at Apple events. Is one more thing. Yeah, you drop a huge bomb on somebody right before they have to go. I was like, oh, I can't answer this. But no, great point. Um, the three things that bother you, uh, and I think those are really, really good examples, Eric. The first one was giving people your resume in a conversation, um, crowing about your accomplishments. That, that's that's usually not not well appreciated. Uh, the second thing is photos. Yep. Um, I've done that to people. I've done that to people in, in the past. I remember once uh, I was so excited. I had this uh, evangelical friend named Brad. He and his wife, Julie, were good friends of ours. And uh, the first time I ever went to Rome was on my honeymoon with, with Trish and uh, took all kinds of photos, saw all kinds of cool churches and stuff. And I was like, maybe the beauty of Rome will evangelize my friends. So, hey, Brad and Julie, why don't you come over for dinner? And we'll talk about, uh, I'll show you my, 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 my honeymoon photos from Rome. Oh, yeah. Well, they, they were just, their eyes were glazing over. They didn't care about any of this stuff. So, yeah, the photos, photos of the kids, photos of the grandkids. Yep. It can be overdone. It can be oversharing. No, no question. And, the, and the, sort of the one last huge big ticket item just before you go. Oh yeah, uh, let's talk about a huge geopolitical situation. What, what's your take on that? No, yeah, great tips. Those are really, really good to add on, Eric. Appreciate that. All right, let's go now to Jared in Utah. Hi, Jared. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for calling in. Hey. Yeah. So I, I found it kind of funny. Um, you know the G.K. Chesterton quote. So mm-hmm. I'm yeah. I'm a I was a Protestant pastor who recently just got confirmed at the Christmas Eve vigil, 
And so wow. I have an undergrad in political science, and I have a uh, master's degree in divinity, so theology. <laughs> so the two things you're not supposed to talk about, I know a lot about. <laughs> uh, the biggest, biggest advice I could give with that is, you know, people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Mm-hmm. So you're mm-hmm. right. You, you build trust on something that you're there for. And then, then you can bring that into the conversation, but bring it in at their level. Don't try to go too over their heads and you'll find better common ground. And that's really an art form, isn't it, Jared? Um, Trying to figure out where somebody's at, like how much can they digest of these topics? Yeah, exactly. Well, by the way, well, congratulations on, on, on this incredible spiritual journey that you're on. May I ask what, what, what tipped it off for you? How'd you get, get rolling with this? So, um, the biggest thing was the, uh, just reading church history. Mm. Um, I had someone challenge me on the Eucharist and I found the, uh, the letter, you know, uh, to the Samirans. Right. Yep. And, And, uh, went, Oh, so I'm the heretic. Got it. Um, and it, it changed my view and it's a lot, a lot of people want to be their own theologian. And I can tell you the biggest rest that I've had is being like, you know what? We have a magisterium. I will, I will let them, let them teach and Mm. let them tell me. And it's been easy. And so when Jesus said, you know, your, your yoke will be light. Mm-hmm. It is because you don't have to be your own theologian, yeah. and that's amazing. It really takes the pressure off, doesn't it? You don't have to reinvent everything from square one. And uh, this this is the beauty of the magisterium for sure. And Jared, that, that's really that's a great great thing that you that you uh, referenced. And by the way, if you didn't catch that, he was talking about the letter to the church at Smyrna. He said, "Where's that in the Bible? It's not. It's a letter from Ignatius of Antioch, who's one of the." early apostolic fathers. He's a disciple, was personally in contact with the Apostle John, who wrote uh, John chapter 6, of course, a very famous chapter on the Eucharist, Jesus teaching on the Eucharist. And in the letter to Smyrna, and you can read these letters of Ignatius of Antioch. He wrote seven letters on the way to his martyrdom. I love St. Ignatius of Antioch. The letter to the church at Smyrna, chapter 6, he says, the heretics, the false teachers, have left the church because they no longer confess that the Eucharist is the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ, the same flesh that suffered on the cross and that the Father and his goodness raised again on the third day. So, wow, it's really powerful Eucharistic realism. And that's why the Apostolic Fathers, the early fathers of the Church, are the most dangerous men in Christianity, as one writer put it, because you find out that the early Church was, in fact, the Catholic Church. They believed Catholic stuff. These are not medieval inventions, folks. Look them up. Read them. And so, Jared, God bless you. Be praying for you. You call back anytime. I'd love to hear more about your journey you're listening to The Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888 When we come back, how did Jesus carve out a prayer life in the midst of such a busy ministry, exorcisms, healings? You say, well, he's, he's God. He's got, a, he's got a cheat code. Well, I, there's some stuff we can learn from this. We'll have that after the break. 888 Be right back. This is The Kale Clark Show, giving you the confidence you need to bring the faith into everyday life. You and I were meant to be, ain't no doubt about it, no way to hide that sort of thing. 
Hey, welcome back to the Kale Clark Show on Relevant Radio, 888-914-9149. How do we carve out a prayer life in the midst of a very, very busy life? Well, it's kind of interesting, uh, the readings for, for today, and Dr. John Bergsma from the Franciscan University of Steubenville, great prof, great writer. Actually, producer Jim had him as a prof at Steubenville. Uh, he was speaking today on the Letters from Home podcast from the St. Paul Center, and he, he kind of goes over the daily readings, and he and other people... And he was talking about um, the Mass readings from today. 1 Samuel chapter 3, it's a famous reading. That was the Old Testament reading today. It talks about Samuel, the young prophet. He's, he's kind of been dropped off in the temple by his mom. And then the old priest, Eli, is looking after him. You know, like Eli Manning, I guess. But anyways, uh, Eli um, uh, was a lot older than Eli Manning. He was, he was pretty, he was, pretty uh, he was getting old. And one day Eli was sleeping and it says his eyes had grown so weak that he could not see. The lamp of God was not yet extinguished and Samuel was sleeping in the temple where the ark of, the God, of God was. The Lord called to Samuel who said, who, sorry, the Lord called to Samuel who answered, here I am. Samuel ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. I did not call you. Eli said, go back to sleep. So he went back to sleep. Again, the Lord called Samuel, who rose and went to Eli. Here I am, he said. You called me. But Eli answered, I did not call you, my son. Go back to sleep. At that time, Samuel was not familiar with the Lord, because the Lord had not revealed anything to him as of yet. The Lord called Samuel again for the third time. Getting up and going to Eli, he said, Here I am. You called me. It's not funny anymore. No, <laughs> I added that in. Then Eli understood that the Lord was calling the youth. So Eli said to Samuel, go to sleep. And if you are called, reply, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. When Samuel went to sleep in his place, the Lord came and revealed his presence, calling out as before, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, speak, for your servant is listening. So Samuel was not familiar, and I kind of butchered that reading a little bit, but Samuel was not familiar with the voice of God at that point. He thinks it's Eli, the old priest, calling him, but it was the Lord himself. And so this is, this is kind of what we have to do, too. That was great advice from Eli saying, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And Mother Teresa, I remember, used to say this. And this, this quote is attributed to a whole bunch of different people, so I don't know who actually really said this, but I, I heard it was from Mother Teresa. that She was once asked, what do, you, what do you actually do when you pray? When you're sitting before the Blessed Sacrament, what are you saying? What are you doing? He's like, I, she's like, I, I don't say anything. I look at him, and he looks at me. Lots of listening going on here. So this is a very, very appropriate, because, of course, Samuel was a prophet, and we are all called to be prophets by virtue of our baptism. We're called to sort of share in those uh, threefold offices of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And what do prophets do? They speak the truth of God to the world. But we've got to hear from God before we proclaim his word to other people. And so this is where really the listening comes in, not just listening to his voice in prayer, but listening to the voice of Christ in the teaching of the church, the magisterium. We were talking about that a little bit before the break. And then, of course, in the gospel, that really famous scene where early in the morning, Jesus is doing all kinds of healings at Peter's house. And this is from Mark chapter one and exorcisms. He healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. She was sick with a fever Near death, Jesus raises her up again. And of course, the old preacher's joke, why did Peter later deny Jesus? He was still mad that Jesus healed his mother-in-law. Old joke, always a classic. 
Um, but no, that's not true. He loved his mother-in-law, I'm sure. And she waited. She waits on them after sunset. The whole town is at the door. Demon-possessed people are brought to Jesus. He cures them all. People who were sick with diseases drove out many demons. Did not permit them to speak because they knew him. You don't want demons as your PR crew. And then in the morning, it says that Jesus rose very early before dawn, left and went off to a deserted place where he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him hunted for him. That's what it actually says in the Greek text. They hunted for him. And upon finding him, said, everyone is looking for you. And he said, well, we're moving on. We, he said, we, let us go on to the nearby villages so that I may preach there also for this purpose I have come. So he went into their synagogues, preaching and driving out demons throughout the whole of Galilee. So this idea that they're hunting for Jesus, they're, they're looking for him. How passionately, how doggedly are you searching for the Lord in prayer? And I, I think what we can learn from Jesus' prayer, obviously the incarnation, the God-man, 100% God, 100% human, and, and the way Jesus went about his business, we can really pick up some tips here. First of all, early, you know, early and often. We often hear that expression. Before the storms of life, the busyness of the day hit, he made sure he spent some time with his Heavenly Father. And so we got to have that schedule. As Stephen Covey says, get the big rocks in the jar first, then you can dump in the pebbles and the sand, all these other things that fill up your day. But if you've got to have some non-negotiables here, is there anything in your life that's non-negotiable when it comes to prayer? There should be some things that you do every day. Uh, to make sure that you're maintaining that relationship with God. So we could talk so much about this, but I want to take a couple of phone calls before we go. Let's go to Elijah in Lexington, Kentucky. Hi, Elijah. Hello. Peace upon you, Kale. Very good program. Thank First you, sir. time caller. Uh, as an Christian, sorry, I'm confused. So many denominations. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. they come to my house, they knock on my door, they want me to join this, join that. I thought, Kale, we have the same God, the same Jesus Christ, the same Virgin Miriam, the same disciple, the same Ten Commandments. What are the differences? Mm. How much time do you have, Elijah? Um, <laughs> wow. Well, that's that's a really good question, I, and I think. We'll have to delve more more deeply into this in, in, a, in a future episode, Elijah. And by the way, thanks for listening to the, to the show and being a first-time caller. Appreciate you. Call back any time. I don't know when if they've done a recent survey, but the last time they did a survey of how many Protestant denominations there are, the answer was somewhere around 34,000. That's, that's the number that you hear. Those are just actual denominations that we know of. That does not count the free church movement, independent evangelical churches that you might see in your neighborhood. Um, and, and so it's it's actually untold, the number of permutations uh, within Pro, uh, Protestant Christianity. Is this what God intended for his church? Well, Jesus said, he prayed that all of his followers would be one, even as he and the Father were one. Why? So that the world would know that he was sent by the Father. So in other words, this unity among Jesus' followers, disciples, has to be visible. You have to see it to believe it. We don't have that. We have a separation among Christians. So it's really a question of ecclesiology. What is the church? What, and what, what is God's plan for all Christians? And by the way, the Catholic Church is not some exclusive club. We want everybody to be in it. That's why it's Catholic. It's universal. It's for all people at all times and all places. So that's a, that's a great question for a future episode. I really think that's a, a good topic that you raised, Elijah. And we'll try to 
get to that in more detail where all these different denominations come from uh, later on. But I want to remind you that tomorrow on the Kale Clark Show, I'll be joined by, at some point in the program, the great Rich Gannon, the 2002 MVP of the NFL. We're going to be talking about the playoffs coming up this weekend. He's also one of our most valuable prayers. Uh, supporter of Relevant Radio. Appreciate you, Rich. Looking forward to talking to you tomorrow. I'll be back with a new session on Romans on the Faith Explained, 1230 Central tomorrow. Keep it locked on Relevant Radio. Miranda Sinisteros took your phone calls. Jim Shaper produced. Take it away, Michaela. Thank you for listening to my daddy.